You're listening to The Garrett Ashley Mullet Show on Anchor FM. I'm Garrett Ashley Mullet, and I want to talk about everything. Welcome back to The Garrett Ashley Mullet Show. This is, of course, Garrett Ashley Mullet coming to you from Greeley, Colorado for episode 471 of this podcast. Today is... Tuesday, September 19th, 2022. And in this episode, we're going to talk about ideology. What is ideology and why is it such a bad thing to have an ideology? Why is it such a bad thing to be an ideologue? Spoiler alert, it might not be such a bad thing after all, but we will get into that. I want to explore the definitions of these things because, uh, quite frankly, I have not really understood, except for in context, the definition of these things. But you know what? Maybe the people who say ideology is not so good, ideologues are not so good, are <clears throat> agreeing on the definition. They just philosophically disagree about whether it's such a good thing to be an ideologue or have an ideology. We'll get into more of the what and the why and the how as we go. But first of all, I want to talk a bit about the business with illegal immigrants being bust by, in particular, Governor Ron DeSantis of Florida, Republican governor of Florida, and also Greg Abbott, Republican governor of Texas. They are in uh, a bit of the spotlight, I suppose you could say, for busing illegal immigrants from their states to prominent sanctuary cities and states and locales where there's a lot of support for open borders policies here in the U.S., And what do we make of that? What do we think of that? Well, before I tell you what I think of it, what I make of it, I'm going to play a brief clip of Mitch McConnell, Senate minority leader, Republican establishment type, with some comments on this business. Take a listen. This is Mitch McConnell. Well, good afternoon, everyone. Um, I think it's pretty clear that regardless of what we may be Uh, debating here in the Senate, the American people are focused mostly on inflation, the crime wave that's affecting the entire country, and the open borders. Uh, There's been a good deal of talk about what some of the governors have done to transport uh, illegal immigrants up to other parts of the country. I personally thought it was a good idea. Uh, But if you added up all of the uh, illegals who've been taken to Chicago or Washington or Martha's Vineyard, it would be fewer than people down in Texas have to deal with on a daily basis. When the vice president says the border is secure, it's absurdly incorrect. And I think these are the kinds of things the American people would look to this administration for some solutions on. And so far, uh, they are lacking. So there you have it, right? Simple point, not really all that complicated or hard to understand. 
the people of Texas, the people of these border states, and many other states besides are having to deal with an influx of illegal immigrants from South and Central America and from elsewhere. Really, it could be anywhere in the world. Think of the countries that hate us most, the cultures that are most resentful towards the United States of America around the world. We could have people coming into the United States of America from literally everywhere, and we no doubt do, doing any number of things. And if we have no control over access into our country from outside, you know, <laughs> the the busing of illegal immigrants to some prominent uh, Democrat strongholds, <clears throat> which say they are so supportive of, uh, you know, free and unfettered illegal immigration, you know, they, they maybe would think a little bit differently if they experienced some more of that illegal immigration, if it was impacting them directly. So here's a chance for them to put their money where their mouth is, uh, or if you will, <clears throat> to choke on them words. And so here is Mitch McConnell, who's somebody I don't particularly care for. He's an establishment type. I think he goes uh, very much whichever way the wind blows. And I don't really appreciate that. I don't think he is uh, as consistent as he is uh, practical and pragmatic. And yes, there's a time and a place for being pragmatic, but yes, also even more so in the long run, consistency is what we need. Uh, consistency is what we need. Playing the long game, but then uh, potentially losing the short game over and over and over again in a very mercenary sort of a way, it, it's not a good look, right? And that is what it looks like, just objectively. But here is another clip, this one from... Forbes breaking news of Governor Ron DeSantis answering a question about basically when are uh, Republican governors like himself and Greg Abbott of Texas going to start acting like governors, stop acting like human traffickers. There's a bit of a swipe here and there's an effort to spin the business, uh, basically to, to put things back on Republicans and to take the limelight off of the fact that Democrat cities, Democrat sanctuary cities, more to the point, really don't want these illegal immigrants just coming in, uh, you know, without a place to stay, without jobs, without any plan uh, or infrastructure, really, to speak of, in place to support them or to integrate them into the community. You know, here, here is here is DeSantis answering a question. That really is just a gotcha question. It's a setup. It's not really an honest question. Take a listen. So when Biden is flying these people all over the fruited plane in the middle of the night, I didn't hear a peep out of those people. Okay, I didn't hear a peep. I haven't heard a peep about all the people that have been told by Biden you can just come in and they're going, they're being abused by the cartels, they're drowning in the Rio Grande. You had 50 that died in some shed in Texas. I heard no outrage about any of that. Uh, I haven't heard outrage about all the fentanyl that's come across the border that's killing Americans in record numbers. I don't hear... I don't hear outrage about the criminal aliens that have gotten through and have then victimized people, not only in Florida, but all throughout the country. I didn't hear any outrage about that. The only thing I hear them getting upset about is you have 50 
that end up in Martha's Vineyard. Then they get really upset. And I'm sorry. Those migrants were being treated horribly by Biden. They were hungry, homeless. They had no, no opportunity at all. The state of Florida, it was volunteer, offered transport to sanctuary jurisdictions because it's our view that, one, the border should be secured. And we want to have Biden reinstitute policies like remain in Mexico and making sure that people aren't overwhelming. But short of that, if you believe in open borders, then it's the sanctuary jurisdictions that should have to bear the brunt of the open borders. So that's what we're doing. But what happened was they were, they were provided um, an ability to be in the, the most posh sanctuary jurisdiction maybe in the world. And obviously it's sad that Martha's Vineyard people deported them the next day. They could have absorbed this. They chose not to. But what it shows is if 50 was a burden on one of the richest places in our country, what about all these other communities that have been overrun with hundreds or thousands? It shows you what now these policies are on the front burner People need to be talking about Biden can't defend his policies of open borders. Uh, it's doing huge damage uh, to our country. It's costing a lot of money. It's costing lives with the drugs that are pouring across. And so the question is, is why are you supporting Biden's policies? Why don't you step up and tell him you're failing and let's do it differently? Because you know what? He inherited a border that wasn't like this. He has created the crisis. But now at least we know nobody can deny that there's a crisis. Everybody now knows, and it was only because you had to have the elite who want to have the cost on everybody else, and they don't want to have to shoulder that. That's the only reason now people are talking about this. And, of course, that's right. That's, <laughs> that's, that's exactly right. And you might say, ah, well, of course you agree. You're conservative. You're voting Republican. Of course you agree that that's the right take. But I think it's very common sense. I think the only thing that would get in the way of this being a very common sense way to look at it is if you don't like Ron DeSantis's politics, if you don't like the fact that he's a Republican, I would ask you this. What, why is that, right? What is the bias that you have against republicanism and do you even know what republicans stand for on principle there are lots of different people who run as republicans who vote republicans they don't necessarily reflect what the ideas of the republican party are or the platform of the republican party is and uh, so also too there's a lot of people that can say a lot of things about the policies of the democrats they can make a lot of hay and they do because they dominate social media and the search engines and Wikipedia and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. They dominate the corporate news media. They dominate academia. They, in sad point of fact, they dominate the bureaucracies because they have a vested interest in the government getting bigger and bigger. But regardless how they might argue, what is their platform? And can your religious convictions, can your belief about right and wrong support what it is that they're actually doing and what it is that they say they are most for. Uh, that's the big question. And again, we'll get into that as far as what is ideology. Republicans definitely have an ideology 
Generally speaking, Democrats definitely have an ideology. Generally speaking, conservatives, not necessarily the same thing as Republicans. Generally, they overlap, but they're not necessarily the same thing. Conservatives definitely have an ideology. Liberals definitely have an ideology. People who are on the left, if you will, if you prefer that way of describing things, left and right, people who are on the left definitely have an ideology. People who are on the right definitely have an ideology. But is that such a bad thing? We will definitely get into it. And yet, I want to highlight this specific example to make an important point. For one, let me just point out that on the one hand, you have Democrats saying, we need to let people in from less fortunate parts of the world. Let them into the United States of America. If they feel like there's better opportunity here, there's more safety here. This is a place where they can raise their families without being worried about maybe the cartels that uh, Republicans are warning about. Well, you know what? I can resonate with that as a husband and as a father. Would I want my kids growing up uh, all worried about possibly getting sucked into a gang or into a drug cartel, possibly being the victim of violence from the same or from a corrupt government in Central America or South America? Absolutely not. If I had an opportunity to move to the United States of America from South America or Central America and get my family out of that kind of a situation, would I jump at the chance? Absolutely. Can I sympathize with a husband or a father from South America or Central America who's thinking along the same lines? Absolutely, I can. But the flip side is that just like you can have a father and a husband wanting to bring his family, bring his extended family, not just his immediate family, but bring his mom, his, his dad, his brothers, his sisters, his cousins, uh, his friends into the United States of America, his wife, his children into the United States of America. Can I sympathize with him? Absolutely. But just like a porous border, an uncontrolled border can allow all of those kinds of people I sympathize and empathize with into the United States. So also the folks who those people I relate to are trying to get away from can get into the United States of America. If there's opportunity here for law-abiding folk to get into the U.S. and have a better life, have a better chance at opportunity, well then so also would it not stand to reason that folks who are the the people people like me, uh, my equivalent uh, in, in a parallel universe in Latin America, you know, are trying to get away from, can those same people get into the United States? Can the drug cartels get into the United States? Can the human traffickers get into the United States? Can the folks bringing illicit drugs uh, get into the United States? Can domestic uh, terrorists be a problem? Sure. Can foreign terrorists who get across our southern border be as much or, or worse of a problem? Absolutely. So that's the concern for Republicans is, for one, you have no control over the border if you're just saying, come on in, come on in, come on in. And then look at what Democrats in states like Illinois, California, New York are doing with regards to you know, either domestic or foreign persons breaking the law, sometimes in very, very violent ways, repeatedly. What are Democrats in those cities doing? They are catching and releasing, not detaining, not holding. And there's a new long list 
of just about every crime you can think of, short of first-degree murder and, I think, rape, I don't think they make the list, uh, that Illinois law enforcement can not detain someone for having uh, committed or for being a suspect uh, having committed. That's a scary thought. California, as long as you're shoplifting less than $1,000 worth of merchandise, they can't try and stop you. They can't arrest you. They can't detain you. Now, imagine that being the way that it works coast to coast. And at the same time, Visa and MasterCard are going to track whether you buy your wife a concealed carry firearm to have on her person when she goes for a bike ride in the neighborhood with your 14-year-old son. True story. My wife, for the first time ever, just recently asked me, hey, can we get me a concealed carry firearm? Because a woman closing up shop at a smoothie, you know, nutraceuticals, health food store, uh, a couple blocks away from our house in Greeley, was brutally murdered as she was trying to close up shop in the evening. Brutally murdered. Law enforcement shows up to a call of a break-in, and they find blood everywhere, a lot of blood everywhere, and they track this gal's car to a nearby locale where her body is discovered. And I don't recall whether they caught the suspect, but let me just say, regardless where he came from, the idea that we're going to catch and release somebody if we're not sure that it was first-degree murder or it was second-degree murder, it was manslaughter, or what have you, whether he was on drugs, whether he was insane, whatever. The idea that we're not going to detain him is shocking. That's absolutely amoral, and that's, that is crazy town. That is insane. So then my wife sees this story. I see this story. She sent it to me. And I'm looking at it and I'm horrified because that's just a few blocks from where my wife and my kids and I live. And my wife says to me, hey, when can we get me a better concealed carry handgun? Because we've got a couple, right? We've got a couple, but they're really not suitable for a lady. They're just not the right size, the right weight. They're not comfortable. And with economic circumstances being such as they've been the past couple of years due to COVID, you know, if everybody else can use due to COVID, I certainly certainly can with a family this size, given the circumstances of the past few years. Due to COVID, I have not bought any firearms or paraphernalia uh, except a a really great tactical uh, belt in the past three years. And so then my wife all of a sudden is saying, hey, can we buy me a good concealed carry firearm? Can we go out and you teach me how to shoot it? Right, Because she's got her concealed carry weapons permit. I've got my concealed carry weapons permit. Very often, uh, if we go somewhere that we think, hey, you know, this might be sketchy, we'll put one of the handguns under the driver's seat. You know, if if we're not going to put it on our person, if I'm not going to carry it myself, she's not typically as comfortable carrying herself. But see, that's just the kind of math that we have to calculate in this day and age. When you've got crime going up, You've got economic opportunity going down. You've got wages stagnant. Even as the cost of everything goes up, you've got a porous border with Mexico where not just moms and dads and their kids trying to come 
into a better life, uh, you know, are, are passing over into the United States, but also very dangerous, deadly folk with no scruples and lots of face tattoos. Also, those folks <laughs> heavily armed uh, and, and whoever their customers are, you know, because they could be transporting and guiding. And, you know, what are, what are we doing about that? Right. What are we doing about that? Greg Abbott, Ron DeSantis, what they're doing about it is they're raising awareness and uh, they're starting a conversation about illegal immigration in America by busing illegal immigrants on a voluntary basis to Democrat-run cities, which have said, we, in the interest of social justice, are for illegal immigration. We are for uh, calling illegal immigrants undocumented uh, aliens, if you will. But it's all a word game. And at the end of the day, when you start busing illegal immigrants into the super wealthy, well-connected neighborhoods, the tune starts to change. But it doesn't change in the direction which you would hope, right? It doesn't change in the direction of, hey, wait a second, this is not sustainable. And if we have a 10,000 square foot house with 100 acres on beachfront property with a guest house and a pool house and all the rest, and we aren't willing, how can we ask a family of 10 crammed into 2,600 square feet that was last updated 22 years ago, (laughs) how can we ask them to step up to the plate as the cost of their grocery bill and their utility bill is going through the roof compared with last year or the year before or the year before that, right? Those are not the kinds of responses we're getting. Instead, the responses we're getting is these insinuations parroted by the mainstream media that Ron DeSantis and Greg Abbott are human traffickers, which is just absurd. That's that's a ridiculous way to spin it, and I don't think it's going to stick. But nevertheless, we do have the question of what do we do? And I think the answer to that question is very simple. If you're the man of the house, you say some strange person knocks on the door, rings the doorbell at an odd hour, You're the one who goes and answers, and you don't just say, hey, come on in when you've got a wife and kids inside. What you do is, if you're responsible, you say, hey, hold on a second. My first and foremost responsibility is not to you. It's not even to my wife and kids. It's to God Almighty. And then subsequently, my next responsibility is to my wife and my kids. Are you a safe person or my wife and kids potentially in mortal danger if I just let you in. Let everybody in who wants to come on in. Homeless, on drugs, demon-possessed, mentally ill, uh, psychotic. Come on in and uh, you know just sleep on the floor next to my kids. Absolutely not. That's ridiculous. That's absurd. But the way some people reason and the way they've been conditioned, and I dare say even brainwashed to reason, you would think that's a moral imperative. It just isn't so. But in other news... Joe Biden said some really stellar things over the weekend. I want to get to that before we get into ideology. For one thing, really good news, the pandemic is over. That's really, really great news, uh, at least to me, probably to you as well. The moment we've been waiting for, COVID is over. The pandemic is over. Uh, Some Democrats are not so excited about this. Reportedly, uh, other Democrats are 
running damage control because somehow that's damaging to their uh, political cause if we say the pandemic is over. But as for you and me and the normal people, that's really great news. The pandemic is over. Uh, Also, too, Biden is not sure he's running for president in 2024. Uh, I think that's even better news, although similar to the COVID pandemic being declared over by Joe Biden, a lot of Democrats are in a little bit of a panic, like, hey, wait a second. Whoa, 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 whoa. We didn't tell you you can't run. Like, that's not the way this works. We've got to be democratic about this. We all take a vote and then you have to run. If we tell you to run, you have to run. Uh, some reports are saying that Governor Newsom of California will run if Biden doesn't. Uh, that's a grand idea. Just look at California. Look at everybody trying to get out of California. Look at the chaos there. Look at, uh, you know, very lax to say the least standards as far as people shoplifting in the state of California, committing violent crime, being homeless, living on the streets, having rolling blackouts, being told you can't buy internal combustion vehicles uh, by the year 2035, but also uh, please don't charge your electric vehicles either until further notice because we'll have blackouts if you do. Uh, Wait a second. Hold on. Come again? So just don't transport yourself? Is this like another variation on the lockdowns thing, even though COVID is over? I don't quite understand what's, what's going on here. Well, what's going on is California is a mess And if Joe Biden doesn't run, Governor Newsom of California might just. And then where do you go? Well, it it might just be for the best that we have a porous border with Mexico. And if the idea of uh, smuggling your family south into Mexico (laughs) does not exactly appeal to you, well, then uh, maybe you should think long and hard about how you vote in November and what principles you support and why and what your ideas are more to the point what your ideology is Uh, but again we'll get into that in just a minute in other news there was a conversation at work today about what is the big idea with democrat cities democrat states basically you know taking uh, you know, a, a very lax approach to even violent crime in their jurisdictions. What's the big idea there? Because to my way of thinking, and I said this in our conversation, to my way of thinking, what you're going to get is flight from cities like Chicago, cities like New York City, cities like Los Angeles. What you're going to get is flight from states like California, Illinois, and New York, two states like Texas and Florida. So what's the big idea here? Right? It would seem like that's not so good for Democrats, and it is actually to the benefit of Republicans. Are Democrats just that um, out of touch, shall we say? And a suggestion was offered, which makes a lot of sense come to think of it. What if the big idea is to push residents of those cities and states to more conservative cities and states? What if the big idea actually is to generate uh, domestic interstate migration here in the U.S.? And then 
to say when Democrats attempt to cheat again in 2022 or 2024, aha, see, this is all just Democrats moving from California, Illinois, New York, et cetera, uh, and, and changing the demographics, changing the, the voting patterns of these conservative states. Create an impression that the vote is going to be different uh, when they move. And then when you cheat, just say, ah, see, like all of these people are moving to Atlanta, Georgia. That's why Georgia has suddenly flipped. Now, this was done in Colorado, certainly, where a lot of shenanigans were pulled with regards to state election laws. And the claim was made, this is just migration from California to Colorado. See, that's why the state flipped blue. And then you follow that pattern throughout the U.S. And voila, what you get is a foregone conclusion. And if you are cheating, if Democrats are cheating, well, then you can just say, ah, no, 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 that's conspiracy theory. You're undermining our democracy. If you are actually cheating, though, nothing could undermine our democracy more than you actually cheating. So to say, hey, I think you're cheating is not cheating if, in fact, you are cheating. So that remains to be determined, although I think there's a lot of evidence that Democrats have been cheating hard and fast and in all the right places. So we need to pay attention to that. And really, too, the big question is not, do we have a smoking gun? Can we prove beyond a shadow of a doubt that cheating is happening in all of the places where we suspect it's happening. No, no. The big question is, what are the scruples? What are the moral constraints? What is the worldview? And what are the overarching ambitions and goals of the folks we're concerned might be cheating? Right? What do those look like? And given that framework, given that worldview, particularly in regards to God and man, is there any reason to suppose there's an internal constraint of conscience and ethics and morality on the part of those who are saying we need to win at any cost? That's a big question to ask. Solve for X there and tell me that the folks who can say an unborn child five minutes before he or she is born is not a human being and therefore can be aborted for the quality of life of the mother, can be murdered in the womb, as long as we can't hear them scream, well then, you know, nothing untoward happened. It wasn't actually murder. If the folks who can champion that line of reasoning are not capable of voter fraud, I am at a loss for how you reckon. (laughs) I just am. That does not follow to my way of thinking. So, Some things to chew on in terms of internal consistency of worldview. What our expectations are? Do we think that people are inherently good? Do we expect that everybody is going to do the right thing? Or do we only expect that we should take people's word for it when they have a Democrat uh, backing, when the mainstream media supports them, when the establishment types support them, when academia runs interference for them? Again, just some thoughts, some things to consider. Lastly, before we jump into ideology and what is ideology and is it such a bad thing, I'll tell you, today I came home from work and my kids, ever since the past three or four hours, 
have been coming up to my office and showing me this, that, and the other thing that they are bringing home from the next door neighbors. Now, why do I mention this? I mention it because our next door neighbors, according to my kids, are moving back to Mexico. Yes, you heard that right. They're moving back to Mexico and they don't want to take all this stuff with them. So they're giving it away. They're just putting it out on the sidewalk. And some of it is actually some pretty neat stuff. There's some floating shelves, which we could use to put away some books. We have no shortage of books. Uh, we do have a shortage of places to put books. But if somebody's giving away floating shelves or shelves of any kind, we're going to take a look at it. And uh, <laughs> the nice thing about floating shelves, you don't have to have floor space to put them up and put some books on them. So my kids are coming home with floating shelves. Also, a little shark electric uh, broom, which works just great. And I'm thinking to myself, that's got to be worth a couple hundred bucks. And they're just giving it away for free. Really? Like why again? Because they're moving back to Mexico. Oh, they're moving back to Mexico. Now here's something again, just some food for thoughts. You know, this, this is just, just me thinking out loud and what you do with it is up to you. But to go back to something earlier that I was just kind of teasing If things get bad enough in the United States of America, is it possible we might thank our lucky stars that our southern border with Mexico is so porous so that we can sneak down into Mexico? How bad would things have to get for us to say, instead of South and Central America sneaking into the U.S., we're trying to sneak into South and Central America because it's just that bad up here. It's just that bad. It's just that corrupt. Well, a thought occurs to me that if some here in Colorado, which in Greeley in particular has a lot of Hispanic American, a lot of Latino American, Latina American residents. If Greeley, Colorado has people right next door to me saying, we're going to move back to Mexico. I'm thinking to myself, man, like maybe we're already almost there. Like maybe, <laughs> maybe things are not so good. If uh, we're, we're trying to flee to Mexico, uh, you know, generally speaking. Everything must go. Please take this, take this, take this. Do you, you want this thing? Like, we can't really move with it back to Mexico. Again, I don't know quite entirely what to make of that, but it is interesting. So there you go. Moving into the main topic, what is ideology? And why do I bring it up? Well, for one thing, It occurred to me the other day, as I was talking about all these scandals with regards to Doug Wilson, that ideology was being mentioned. Uh, Also in a recent NBC Meet the Press uh, article and video story about Doug Wilson, as ideology was being used to describe Doug Wilson and what he's advocating and what he is for and what he's communicating. I found myself realizing that seldom to never have I heard ideology referred to in a positive sense. Why is that? Why is it that you don't ever seem to hear about ideology as a good thing, right? So for instance, it's always second or third person. You are ideological or he subscribes to this or that ideology. Very rarely do you hear someone, at least in my circles, in my experience, very rarely do you hear someone saying, this is my ideology, as if that's a good thing. 
even more so with regards to calling someone an ideologue. So this or that person is an ideologue. That's never a compliment. That is never something we say when we are speaking highly of someone. Oh, they're an ideologue. Really? Oh, well, how interesting. I want to hear what they have to say. It's always a bit of an ad hominem, right? It's always a way of undercutting whatever it is that they're advocating so that you don't have to actually listen to their arguments or the points that they're making because you can just say, oh, well, that's just ideological, right? I'm not ideological. I'm objective. Well, of course you are, right? Of course you are. So that got me thinking, right? That got me thinking, hey, wait a second. Am I relying too much on insinuations and context to inform what I think of ideology, right? If Doug Wilson is described as an ideologue or if what he's arguing and advocating is described as ideological, am I banking too much on other people doing my thinking for me? And do I really know what ideology is? And maybe I should acquaint myself. And then I think still further, you know, if I'm not sure I know what ideology actually is, I just hear it referenced and assume that I know from the context that it's a bad thing. Well, then maybe my audience as well. Maybe other people are in the same boat I am. Maybe I can do a service to others as well if I look this up and share it on my podcast. So I looked it up. And as with Wikipedia, so also with Merriam-Webster, you have to be careful because it's not precisely the objective and middle-of-the-road neutral folk who edit Merriam-Webster or Wikipedia or many of these go-to resources online. And yet, nevertheless, you can get some idea of even what the leftists and those who are Democrat in their voting bias will admit is the thing. Looking up ideology, the definition thereof, on Merriam-Webster, here's what I get. 1A, a manner or the content of thinking characteristic of an individual group or culture. Hmm, boy, that sounds really bad, right? That sounds, that sounds really awful, unusual, abnormal, untoward. I mean, a manner or the content of thinking? Thinking? Ah, we ah, I don't ah, we don't need to be thinking. We, you know, thinking is that's that's see that's how it starts. People start thinking, and then next thing you know, you're getting questioned in what you're telling people to do, and it's just a mess from there, right? Just chaos and pandemonium. People start thinking for themselves, and they're not very good at it. And next thing you know, they you know are trying to decide things for themselves. It's just where does it stop? Right? Where, where will it stop if people start thinking in a way that is characteristic of themselves or their group or their culture? That's, uh, man, I can see why people think ideology is a bad thing. Uh, 1B, <laughs> it gets worse. The integrated assertions, theories, and aims that constitute a socio-political program. Uh, let me just tell you, I am a systems integrator. That's what I do for a living. So I know 
how bad systems are, how bad they can be, and I know how bad integration can be. I mean, integration is just a bad, bad thing. And if you're going to integrate your assertions and your theories and your aims, I mean, aims, that reminds me too much of guns and firearms, which are dangerous. And so, I mean, you start talking integrated aims, and I am thinking that this is a very hostile circumstance that makes me feel unsafe. Uh, but then, but then, you know, then then you start to constitute your sociopolitical program, and boy, howdy, man, man, I can't even constitute a sociopolitical program. I mean, one or the other, but both together, socio, political, social, and political program. Mm. That sounds like tyranny. That you would integrate your assertions and theories and aims and constitute a socio-political program accordingly. I mean, if I were feeling more generous, I might say what you're describing is worldview, but I'm not feeling generous at all. So 1C, 1C, Merriam-Webster, a systematic body of concepts, especially about human life or culture. You know what? You know, I, actually, I think the nudge theorists, they're right. It just it it just now dawned on me. They're totally right. They're totally right. Nudge theory and the work of Amon Tversky and Daniel Kahneman, behavioral economics. It's all right. It's all correct. And I we you know ninety nine percent of people are just human beings. They're not econs. They're not purely rationalistic. They don't arrive at the conclusions that we think are correct. And so they're really in no position to be systematizing bodies of concepts, especially about human life or culture. It's just, you know, they they start doing that and pretty soon they're going to start thinking that they can vote for somebody other than us or buy someone else's products or, you know, even worse, make their own, invent their own products, manufacture them, sell them, man, you know, manufacture them with raw materials that have been extracted or harvested in their own country. I mean, ah, like that, that would just be the worst. That would be the worst. Very backwards, very primitive, not at all progressive. Uh, lastly, <clears throat> the second definition for Merriam-Webster Visionary theorizing, and this one, I mean, this this just broke me. Visionary theorizing, I mean, clearly, like as everyone knows or should know, there's a limited number of people in society who we can afford to have being visionary, right? Can we all agree on that? If everyone's a visionary or if we have too many people who are visionary, well, then, you know, we're going to get too many visions, and clearly, I mean, I think of this with your own eyes, visionary, try double vision, right? You get multiple people with multiple visions. And I mean, if you think double vision is bad, just imagine having a plethora of visions and then coming up with theories, everybody being able to think for themselves and theorize accordingly. Ah, oh, man, just that sounds like chaos. Clearly what we need instead is Democrat 
solutions, which are sponsored by Nudge Theory, manipulating all of us into doing what the 1% of folks who are behavioral economics uh, students and uh, teachers think is best for us. I mean, clearly, clearly that is in our best interest. Uh, Merriam-Webster answers the question, though, what does ideology mean? And this is a good question. And uh, there's a little bit of etymology, word history here, which is great. Ideology has been in use in English since the end of the 18th century and is one of the few words whose coiner we can identify. The French writer A.L.C. Destut de Tracy proposed it as a term to designate the science of ideas. And in that sense, the word was quickly borrowed into English, though ideology originated as a serious philosophical term. Within a few decades, it took on connotations of impracticality, thanks to Napoleon, who used it in a derisive manner. Today, the word most often refers to a systematic body of concepts, especially those of a particular group or political party. So in sum, so long as you don't like the particular group or political party, then you can call them uh, ideological or ideologues and um, dismiss them because Napoleon did. That's, I mean, WWND, what would Napoleon do? That's, I got a bracelet uh, somewhere, somewhere around here, I think, maybe. It's close to that. It's close. It might not say WWND, but it's really close. I think it says WWJD, but you get my point, right? Napoleon didn't think highly of the science of ideas, and if he didn't, we clearly shouldn't either. So then what is an ideologue, right? I'm sorry, I'm being very sarcastic. Please forgive me. Uh, I mean that genuinely. If you if you struggle with sarcasm, I'm sorry. There's a lot of it here, admittedly. But what is an ideologue, right? If that's ideology, if that gives you, even according to, even according to Merriam-Webster, if that's what ideology is, what is an ideologue? And here I went to a different source besides Merriam-Webster. I went to the Cambridge Dictionary. And as you might guess from the definition of ideology, the Cambridge Dictionary defines ideologue as follows, quote, a person who believes very strongly in particular principles and tries to follow them carefully. Wow. Man, you know, like putting aside the sarcasm for a moment, that right there. Sounds like a good thing, actually. That sounds like a good thing. Like, isn't that what we should aspire to, actually? Like, believing very strongly in particular principles, so long as they are the right principles, truth and beauty and goodness, informing our principles, wouldn't we want to believe strongly, very strongly in those particular principles? Let's say we derive principles from God's word. You know, you have some hard and fast rules, but then you're able to derive principles from those and you say, ah, okay, you know, we're able to discern from this what is the perfect will of God. And then we want to abide by that. We want to be in harmony with that. We want to submit ourselves to the Lord Jesus Christ, to Jesus the Messiah. We want to follow in principle 
not just practically, not just pragmatically, not just the ends justify the means. No, no, no. We want to follow in principle what it is that the Lord Jesus Christ has said and told us to be about and told us we are in him. We believe very strongly as Christians, for instance, that what Christ said is our final authority. What God's word says, what the Bible cover to cover says is our final authority, our only inerrant and perfect authority on all matters of life and doctrine. So that's where we derive our principles. If we're going to have principles, unless somebody says, oh, no, we shouldn't have principles. Oh, no, 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 no principles. You know, if you will admit that you should have principles as a Christian, your principles have to be derived from God's word. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about that. So then we say, okay, well, we need to be principled. And what do we mean by that? Well, our principles need to be defining what is true and good and beautiful on God's terms because only by doing so as an outgrowth of our belonging to God in Christ Jesus, as an outgrowth of our faith in God through Christ Jesus, can we love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, strength, and mind by God's grace and love our neighbor as we love ourselves by God's grace. So then it's inescapable to my way of thinking that we have to have particular principles as Christians. We have to believe very strongly in those particular principles and we have to follow them carefully. And so then in a certain sense, if ideology is the science of ideas, well, where's the objection? Is the objection to the idea that we would try and be scientific about the ideas we have, taking every thought captive to Christ, sounds from a certain perspective, if you look at it from a certain angle, very ideological. If you want to call it that, which going by the dictionary definition, setting aside you know, the way people typically interpret this in a negative sense, is imperative for the Christian. It's imperative. So then you say, okay, well, these are my principles. And this really, I mean, (laughs) this really gets down to the left-right divide. If the left politically and the right politically are adhering to different principles in a different prioritization based on different fundamental presuppositions regarding God and our fellow man and ourselves, and why are we here and who are we? And what are we supposed to be about? And where are we going? And what's it all for? If the political right and the political left are adhering to a different set of principles or the order of operations is markedly different, which it is, undeniably. Is it enough to say, well, you know what? Hey, they disagree so strongly. Can't we all just get along? You have to deal with those principles on some level. Now you could say, okay, you know what? We're going to Leave that to the Holy Spirit to do the convicting. But here's where it gets tricky. Part of our job as Christians is to fulfill the Great Commission. I presume, unless that's in doubt or that's up in the air. Make disciples of all nations, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. So then you're making disciples, teaching them to observe all that Christ has commanded us. You're preaching the gospel. You're preaching the risen Savior, Jesus Christ, the Messiah, born of a virgin, of the lineage of David, in fulfillment 
of the promises of God according to the plans of God and the perfect and unchangeable purpose of God to redeem his people and make himself known and to get glory for himself. You're making disciples, you're preaching the gospel, the arrival of the kingdom, the complete victory of the king, Jesus. And you're calling for repentance and a turning away from sin because Christ is king. Jesus is Lord. Those are your principles. And so you say, we're going to make disciples, teaching them to observe all that Christ commanded us. That sounds like a principle. Why? Because it's good to do. Because God told us to do it. But that's a very, very different starting position than what the left is working from, where man is inherently good and God and Christ are a kind of garnish. They're a side dish. The main event is whatever they think, whatever they want, whatever they believe to be progress. And it is a package deal because the principles are different. And there's just no getting around that really. Now, that isn't to say, now, don't hear what I'm not saying, but it isn't to say that conservatives or everyone who says they're conservative or everyone who says I'm a Republican and vote for me or vote the way I vote or whatever is always so much better. But it is to say that insofar as tradition might not be always such a bad thing, particularly if your tradition is, if you will, to obey God, to fulfill the Great Commission, to edify the church, to preach the word in season and out of season, to proclaim the gospel, the good news, the evangelion of Christ, of Jesus, of the Messiah, of Yeshua HaMashiach, if your tradition is that, if your tradition is to seek the welfare of the city to which Yahweh or God has brought you in your exile, if your tradition is to build a house, plant a garden, to take a wife, to have children, to raise your children up in the fear and admonition of the Lord, to give your children away in marriage, to encourage them also, to have children after them, to increase in the land and not to decrease. If that is your tradition, well then, woe to those who would tear it down because it's getting in the way of their self-actualization along very, very different lines. And that is the right-left divide in this country. And that is the right-left divide as it has stood for three centuries nearly at this point. Not quite, I'm rounding up, but nearly, near enough, but that's all the time I've got for this episode. Now you know a bit more about what ideology is, what an ideologue is. Is it a bad thing? What do you think? Let me know. Reach out. If you think I've missed something, or if you disagree with some of the implications or what I'm deducing from what I'm thinking through here, by all means, fill me in, correct me where I need corrected. But, as always, in the meantime, thank you for listening. Until next time, God bless.
You've been listening to The Garrett Ashley Mullet Show on Anchor FM. For more content like what you just heard, subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. Also check out thegarrettashleymulletshow.com to subscribe to email alerts when new episodes are published. As always, you can reach me with any comments, questions, complaints, objections, or insights at garrettashleymullet at protonmail.com. Thank you.